Imagine being a landscape gardener or a builder and you're happily going about your business, perhaps out the front of your house with many people passing by and then a local vicar or that crazy Baptist minister suddenly shouts at you from the street, put your tools down and come and follow me. How rude, you might think. Well, this is what Jesus did in this account in Matthew. They weren't landscape gardeners or builders, but he shouts at these people, these men who are busy fishing, going about their daily business, put down your nets and follow me. In Matthew, we read that Jesus interrupted the lives of his future disciples, called them, pack up your tools, pack up what you're doing, leave your livelihood and follow me. Each of these uh, groups of the disciples being called is recorded slightly differently in each of the Gospels. But each time it just amazes me and I always question, how would I have responded? Of course, we only see a snapshot and we don't know what prior knowledge they had of Jesus and there's so much more that's not said. But nonetheless, their immediate commitment to go and follow Jesus wherever he was leading them, was astonishing. And so they become known as his disciples. And we have a tendency to see the word disciple as a Christian word. However, Jewish rabbis had disciples. Greek philosophers had disciples. It was not a term coined by Jesus. In fact, the term Mathetes literally means student or learner and was in reasonably common use in Jewish and the Greco-Roman world. After the book of Acts, where it's used to include believers of Jesus, including both men and women, the word doesn't appear again in the New Testament. So our context of being disciples is all about being followers of Jesus and followers of his way. So if you are a believer and a follower of Jesus today, and I hope you are, you are called in the same way that the first disciples were, to follow him and to be disciples who make disciples because that was their first calling, if you remember, couched in the terms of becoming fishers of men. If we are followers of Jesus, why do we follow him? And many people might question us about that. The verses that we've read in Hebrews, I think, remind us of some of the why we follow Jesus. Verse 12, Jesus Christ offered the once and for all time sacrifice for all of our wrongdoing. We are forgiven. Verses 19 and 21 remind us that we are set free, able to enter the very throne room of heaven before God because of the work of Jesus on the cross his resurrection and his ascension. We are free. Therefore, we freely, and because of our freedom, follow Jesus. Wow, what a privilege to be a disciple of Jesus, which is exactly what those first disciples must have felt. So, on to church then. Is your church full of disciples striving to follow Jesus? Whether this is the first few baby steps of someone trying to work out what this faith means or from years and years of a faithful journey with Jesus. 
If your answer is yes and amen, then what does that mean for being church? What does that look like? What should it look like? The Bible in the Greek uses a word ecclesia, and it's usually translated church. It literally means the called out, the people of God who are called out, the people called to be followers of Jesus. So as we gather in any form, in person, online, in a church building, in a cafe, in a home, as a group of followers of Jesus going about his business, in other words, being his disciples, we are being the Ecclesia, the called out people of God. We are being church. The very grounding and foundation of church has to be discipleship because, well, it's made up of disciples, followers of Jesus. Grounding the church on anything else is a waste of time. Jesus said, I will build my church. In other words, he will call us to follow him and with him working through us, he will build his church. Now that's not bricks and mortars, mortar and cathedrals and spires. It's the people who are his followers. The places in which we do this may well be very beautiful buildings or very ordinary ones, but that is always secondary to the fact that we are followers of Jesus. So what is your church built on? <laughs> My mind goes back to that old hymn, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride and with his own blood he bought her and for her life he died. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. I think the last six months have caused us to think more about what is church. When am I at church? So much of what has traditionally been meant by that phrase has been brushed aside and I hear the phrase, I long to get back to church. It's a common calling right now, isn't it? Are you not in church with your online small group? Can the Holy Spirit not flow through the virtual airways as much as the literal ones? I'm not decrying the value and uniqueness of meeting together in person. I miss it greatly. But on what is our church founded? Or rather, on whom is it grounded? If our answer is in tradition, then... Where is Jesus called to be his followers? In the Gospels, he constantly challenged those who would place their traditions ahead of God. If our church is centred on the 21st century culture of me, myself, I, then how does being a follower of Jesus fit with this individualism? Jesus discipled his disciples in relationship and is himself in relationship with the Godhead. There's no room for individualism in church. Church is relationship and community within which and through which disciples grow in order to follow Jesus and in order to grow more disciples. Remember the Great Commission of Matthew 28. 
Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So, what does church look like that is founded and grounded in discipleship of being followers of Jesus? Well, I think this book of Hebrews, this reading that we had in Hebrews rather, gives us some helpful and realistic tips with the let us statements, which we find in the concluding verses of our passage. These are clear about the struggles of church life and similarly clear that faithful followers of Jesus Christ have to be engaged with it wholeheartedly. Let's have a look at these let us statements then. Firstly, verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and a full assurance that faith brings. Peter Morden in his book on discipleship writes, We are authorised to go into God's presence, not timidly or hesitantly, but with real confidence and full assurance of faith. <clears throat> Our confidence in the gospel, both for ourselves and in its efficacy for others, is at the root of it all. I sometimes fear that some of our churches have become far more comfortable than Jesus would expect us to be. Imagine what he would say or how he would react if he walked into one of our services, when we meet in person, or Zoom-bombed one of our meetings. <laughs> I suspect he would shake us up, perhaps wake us up. We need to capture again the passion that made those first followers get up, go, and leave everything. For it's the power of the gospel that changes us and changes others' lives too. Not a well-constructed meeting or a service, however well-intentioned. This is the power that lives in me and in you as followers of the King Jesus. Do you have that assurance? Are you moving forward as his follower? Do you have confidence in the gospel? Just in case that assurance of faith is slipping, the writer of this passage in Hebrews goes on to say in verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. This is sometimes translated hold fast and I like that because the word hold here is a very strong one and it suggests like those limpets hanging on to the edge of a boat or the, the hull of a boat. No matter what the wild storms are that come to try and knock them off, they firmly remain attached to the hull of the boat and clustering together. So this verse also reminds us that God is on our side. He is faithful. We put our trust in him and he more than holds on to us. But we also need to be holding on to one another as disciples of Jesus. We need to be surrounded by godly relationships, being church. In Peter Morden's book, The Message of Discipleship, which I've used quite a lot in the preparation of this sermon, he talks about an occasion when he and his wife visited the redwood trees in the United States. Now, redwood trees are one of the most, if not the largest, um, 
species of tree in the world. And they have the most enormous trunks. And they stretch high, high, high up into the sky. But what he tells us about in, in his book is that these trees don't have deep roots. They actually have roots that are quite shallow. And the thing about the roots is they intertwine with each other. So their strength as trees, when the stormy winds blow, is this intertwining of their roots. Not the depth of their roots, interestingly, on this occasion. Finally then, in verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. We are all to be stirred up, spurring one another on. This applies to all of us, not just to leaders. This too is very strong phraseology, a bit like being poked or prodded. We have an open fire in our lounge and you can think that the fire has all but gone out. And then you give it a stir, you give it a prod, you turn some logs over and it springs into life again. It's not always comfortable being prodded or stirred, is it? But actually it's part of who we need to be in being church together as followers of Jesus. What is it for? It's in order to spur us on in our walk and our following of Jesus, to spur us on in love for one another, in good deeds towards one another, in caring for each other and caring for those who don't yet know Jesus. Have you been prodded or stirred recently by the Holy Spirit? or by a good and loving friend in Christ, perhaps pay attention to it if you have. Genuine discipleship is rooted and grounded in the knowledge and practice of the love of Jesus as we share and do this together. Growing disciples alongside one another is a corporate act, not an individual one. So what does it mean to be a disciple, a follower, a student, a learner of Jesus? It means that he calls you, being rooted and grounded in him as an individual and as a church. It means holding on to that assurance of your faith. It means cleaving to one another in order that we can go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. So how is God prodding you as a disciple? Do you remember your first calling? Did you have a moment where you were called to drop everything and follow him? Do you need to recall that moment again? Are you clinging to the building? we can't meet in yet? Or are you clinging to one another? Are you prepared to go beyond being comfortable in order to follow Jesus as the first disciples did in risky, adventurous living? It's followers of Jesus like that that make up the church. It's followers of Jesus like that that will be attractive to those that don't yet know him. So if you're being prodded or stirred or nudged, 
listen to what the Holy Spirit may be saying and see where Jesus leads. Thank you.